It's with us every step of our journey, wherever we are, whatever place we are today. If we find ourselves in the gutter this morning, awesome God's right there with you. Find yourself on top of the mountain, awesome God is right there with you. Awesome God that's with us every step of the way, even when we don't see God with us every step of the way. God is still there. We've got a journey in our scripture this morning that we're going to talk about on this road to Emmaus, about some people who aren't ready for awesome God. And they have to go on a journey to find that awesome God again. You know, they're, they're getting out of town. They're going back home. You know, Jesus, whom they loved, has just died. You know, and so there's some bad stuff going on in Jerusalem, and they leave. They leave to go home. You know, sometimes you just feel like it's good to get out of town. You know, even if you're getting back to some place that's dis disappointing and full of grief and something that's not as good as everyone else has. It's, you just got to get back there because it's familiar to you, even if it stinks. Right? So they're going back home. You know, hope has been crucified. And they are headed out of town before anything else bad happens to them. You know, Gregory Boyle in his book, dealing with gang members and being in ministry with them for all these years, talks about homies living in a zip code that's nothing but depressing. And how the God they know is the one false move God. The God that really doesn't give you second chances. The God that if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time gets you dead in gang life in the life where these people are living. It's what they know of the world, this one false move God. Have you ever felt like if you just weren't perfect, if you couldn't do everything just the way you needed to, that somehow, just try remembering being a teenager, you were just going to die? How many times a week you used to die in junior high school? I'm just going to die. You know? Because it's just how it feels. But they live in that place of having no future, not sensing that there's hope. And so they understand this one false move, God, really well. This one false move may even get you shot, maybe even by a police officer. You know, one false move. So it's a journey. It's a journey for us. It's a journey for people caught in a neighborhood like that to move from one false God to one false move, God, to the no matter whatness of God. The God that's with you even when you don't know it, the God that seems invisible to you, that seems that it can't be that good, it can't be that true, the God that says, whoever you are, you are my child, and I love you, no matter whatness of God. You know, that's a journey. And so these people are leaving because hope has been crucified. These two disciples are on the road home, even if it's going to be a home of grief and despair, because they're familiar with it. Because they haven't been introduced to the no matter whatness of God yet. They believe there's been a false move and that they are going to be punished for it. So they're on their way home. They're on their way to what they know. And as they head that way, sure enough, Jesus shows up to walk with them. You know, you saw that, right? At least in the story. You know, they didn't. We get to see it in the story. We know that it was Jesus walking with them. And so as Jesus starts to walk with them, they are talking about what's just happened in Jerusalem and how they had had hope. They had hoped that Israel would be redeemed. But hope got crucified. 
And they tell the story, and they tell it probably multiple times, because you know how you're trying to tell a story that doesn't make sense to you, yet you just kind of repeat yourself, kind of go in a loop around and around. And we had hope, and we had hope, but hope died. And then we went crazy. These people started telling stories. You know, we don't get it. We just had to leave town. They're telling stories about Jesus isn't really dead, but we know he's dead. We saw him crucified. You know, so let's get out of here because it's going to get worse before it gets better. So Jesus is listening to this stuff that they're telling him. Because, you know, they started off not on a really good foot with Jesus because they look at him like he's crazy. They've been dealing with crazy people that day already. And so here he is on the road, and, they say, and he says, what are y'all talking about? And they say, are you the only person? Are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened? You must be crazy too. And they can't see him. He's right there with them, but he's invisible to them. Are you the only person? Something must be wrong with this guy. So they tell the story multiple times, trying to make sense of it, trying to wonder if they tell it again, maybe it'll end a different way. If I try one more time, maybe the story will come out differently. And so they're caught in a loop, and Jesus is right there with them. They have tunnel vision. They can't see what's right before them. He's hiding in plain view right there in their conversations, right there in their life, offering them himself, but they just can't receive it yet. Because they know that they're believing in the one false move God. And God can't be that good you know it's like jesus is stuck in their spiritual spam filter can't get through and they don't even know they've got it tuned to keep god out they don't even know that it's fixed in that way happens before they even know it they're trying to learn how to spell hope again telling that story so they might believe again are you the only stranger in town that doesn't know probably kind of sassy I was feeling a little sassy this week when I was at City Hall. Well, I got in trouble for grumbling a little too loud. <laughs> they said, y'all stop that, be nice. I said, well, to my neighbor, grumbling again, said, when they say things like that to you, you can't not grumble. There are some things you just have to grumble in response to. You know, I just felt a little sassy. You know, one of the city council members was talking about this equal rights ordinance, which has to do with public accommodations how people are refused access to restaurants or to housing or on their jobs, but based on multiple things, based on sexual orientation and gender idea is, identity is one thing, but also based on race, based on sex, based on multiple, multiple categories. There is no protection for that in Houston. You know, you can always sue if you have the money to, but there's no place to go to in Houston right now if you experience that sort of discrimination. There's no place right now where you can just make a complaint and have it carried forward and investigated based on race, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, ability, all of those things. There's no way to follow up on that unless you have the resources and the wherewithal to go to court and the time and the energy to do so as well. So I was feeling a little bit sassy when this one city council person was um, a man, white man, old man in three-piece suit said, we don't need this. Nobody's being discriminated against. 
And I thought, well, let's try and change your sex and the color of your skin and get you out of that suit and get you out of those chambers. And let's see if you can say that nobody's being discriminated against. There was a flashback. I remember 1985. Do any of you remember 1985? Kathy Whitmire was mayor. You know, we tried to do this back then in 1985. And then they, this anger erupted in a thing called the straight slate. And they organized all these people that said they knew the truth about who we were. And the truth about what needed to happen at Houston. And it was ugly. But you know what was also happening in 1985 at that time was the time when this church and other churches in this area first started responding to the HIV AIDS crisis. And we didn't have the energy to do both. We didn't have the energy to fight the straight slate at the same time we were fighting HIV and AIDS. So we took care of our people. What year is it now? It's taken this long to get the same kind of information back on the ballot, back before the council so that we can have this discrimination out of Houston. Pardon me if I was feeling a little bit sassy when you said, this doesn't happen here. I don't know what you're talking about. It's like it was right before him, but it was invisible, he couldn't see it. His spam filter was way too tight. And it probably been on his whole life because no one had ever challenged it before. You know what that's like. So I was being a little bit sassy. Our staff was being better than sassy, though. Our staff was being a little bit better than sassy. Uh, Mark gets up there and tells them, you know, 300 people in our church decided at the drop of a hat that they would sign this card to you talking about this discrimination and the need for this. And out of those 300, there's this little box they could check. And on this little box, they could check it if they had experienced discrimination in public accommodation. And he said, you know, 25% of those 300 people signed that box. 25%. And Mark said, I was one of those people who've been discriminated against in public accommodation. And then he went on to say, you know what? If you don't believe this is necessary, why don't you come to church? You come on into church, sit with us, walk with us, we'll walk with you. Jesus will be with us along the way. You might, think you, you might not think you can see him, but Jesus will be there. And we can talk about what is right before you. We can talk about what life is like for your people in the city right now. Haven't you ever heard of Transgender Day of Remembrance? In 1985, when this went south, there were some people who killed themselves. It was too much judgment. Too much was going on at the same time. They couldn't handle it. It was pretty bad. You know, right in the middle of it. I'm glad we've come away since then. And I want you to put on your armor today because as TV commercials come out and politicians start speaking and they start saying ugly, ignorant stuff, you're going to need it to protect yourself. Because we're not going to have any of those this time around. We're not going to have any suicides. We are going to let people know that God loves them. Every occurrence of any of this negative, we're going to let people know that God loves them. Because we're still that vulnerable today. 
so many of our folks, Jesus is walking right alongside them and they still can't see that no matter whatness of God that loves them, they still think they're less than and we need to help them. So as the journey continued, as the journey went on, they went from, aren't you a crazy stranger who doesn't know nothing? Jesus talks to them about the scripture and after a while they finally get to where they are and it becomes night and they say, stay with us. It moves from crazy stranger to come on in, come on in and stay with us. And I would say this is part of our journey. Some of us meet Jesus the first time and Jesus is a crazy stranger. Then we get further down the road listening for a little while and we think, okay, we'll invite him in this far. Invite Jesus in some into our life. So they're on this journey. They know it's up, but they're inviting the stranger in. They know that even how, no matter how bad it is, that their values, their faith tells them to open those doors. They don't want to leave this person out at night. They want this person to be safe. They want this person to not be hungry. So even though they're going back to this place that's away from all the craziness, they offer their hospitality. They offer what they have to offer. And you know what? Jesus receives it. Jesus says, sure, I'll stay with you. You make that invitation, you better watch out. Sure, I will stay with you. And I saw it in the council meeting too. I saw Reverend Michael when people had said negative things, things that were ugly about us. And then they would go out into the hallway. Reverend Michael went out in the hallway after him. <laughs> said, Jesus is still walking with us over here. There's a whole group of people, about 10 that left at one time after they had spoken. And Mayor Michael goes out there right in the middle of them. Okay, Jesus is with us. Let's keep going. Maybe we will see Jesus together. You know? Did you invite them to church? Yes. <laughs> invite them to church where God will make eyes open and hearts full. Invite them to church. See, Jesus' strategy in all this is, an imp is a simple one. I'm going to walk with you, and as Boyle says it, I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to be right there where you are. It's an interesting strategy because one thing Boyle doesn't say, but I love this. When Jesus comes to you, Jesus asks you to be his host. Jesus asks you to be Jesus' benefactor. Jesus asks you to open the door to give him food, to maybe give him a place to sleep. Jesus turns you, the one from the margins, the one who may be headed out of town, the one who's not sure about the no matter whatness of God, Jesus says to you, you are gifted. You have more than you know. You are going to be my host. And I'm going to accept that from you. What does it mean to think you have nothing? And here is God right there in your living room saying, host me. You know, bring out what you have. Because you know what? It's enough. You are enough. You, I see you way beyond your faults. And the thing you call your faults, I don't call faults. Can you dive into the no matter whatness of God and be healed? For some of us, that's a long journey, and it gets darker before it gets lighter. It gets really dismal in some of our lives, and some of us have even had that experience of feeling like we need to end our life. 
like those people did in 1985. Sometimes, you know, life has to be broken and hearts are broken before they can burn anew. And in this story, their hearts are broken before they find healing. It's the story of our church. It's the story of our denomination. Reverend Troy Perry, when he was getting started out, got to the point of trying to kill himself because he had not visited the no matter whatness of God deep enough to know that God loved him as an out gay man. So on one night, Reverend Troy tried to kill himself and it wasn't successful. And in the days coming, he heard the call. So God doesn't want me dead. God says, I have a gift to give. God wants to use me. So moving from that place of broken heart, of having the one false move, God, to a place of the no matter whatness of God that's going to use the gifts you have right where you are for God's good. Reverend Perry got the notion to start a church from the suicide bed to opening up his house and say, Jesus, come in. Hear it in his own words. I was nervous. I've never been more nervous in my life. All at once here I was nervous, something I'd never ever been. I didn't know if anybody would come. I kept browbeating friends, trying to get people to come, but I really didn't know if anybody would show up. There were nine friends and three strangers that first service. There was a woman, a person of color, a Jew. I looked at it as just the view of things that come from Metropolitan Community Church. And then Troy came out with his trademark, if you love the Lord this morning, say amen. It's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord this morning and to feel his power and his spirit. He's a good preacher. He knows how to preach. He knows how to talk. And he knows how to, you know, get people's attention. And when I preached that morning, they were so receptive of my sermon. But it was what happened next when the Holy Spirit moved. And what happened next was I dedicated communion, asked people to come forward. Only three people did, but we all were in tears. We were all crying. There was a move of the Holy Spirit so strong you could have cut it with a knife. We knew something incredible had happened that day. From thinking he needed to end his life to opening the doors of his house to through offering what God said he was gifted to offer to receiving God anew. Hearts burning right there in the middle of communion. Right there in something his tradition didn't celebrate. Right there when people told him he needed to do this but it wasn't his thing. Right there in that moment in time in the service of communion. When you read it in the book, he talks about how it was so powerful, so overwhelming that they couldn't move from it. The tears. God showing up right there in the midst of ones who thought they had nothing to give. Right there in the midst of ones that others said didn't belong. God saying, I am right here with you. See me. Know and feel my no matter whatness. Know that I am the God who loves you so much. 
that it is more than any of this other stuff. It is more than any of this language that you're going to hear in this campaign. It is more than any of the judgment anyone has given you. It is more than your own judgment of yourself. No matter whatness of God, we're not our hearts burning, the disciples said. From your crazy Jesus to come visit for a while to we're in our hearts burning when he was with us. Weren't we overcome by God right here in our midst? Well, I don't know where you are this day, but when I was in that council chamber, I heard those negative things being said. And then I saw Jewish folk, Christian folk, Sikh folk get up and talk about the need for this ordinance. It blew my mind away. It blew my mind away. When I saw the women clergy get up to share their stories and then were not asked to continue, whereas every male clergy was asked to continue, blew my mind away. When I then saw trans and gay folk get up and essentially break open the bread and say, this is Christ here before you. See, look, this is what this is about, is God's love for all of us. Don't throw it away. Right there in the room. If your spam filter wasn't tightened too tight, you could see it. Then one woman got up on crutches. She went there to the, to the podium, and she was um, a judge. And she talked about when she was discriminated against and trying to get into a local bar and restaurant on Washington Street. She got up there and she said, my friend and I, who was a state legislator, walked up to the door, and the person said, no, you're not welcome here. Before they even got close enough to try and enter, the person said this and made it real clear, the white bouncer made it real clear that as people of color, they weren't welcome in this establishment on Washington Street, not so far from here, a judge and a state legislator. And she said, and I had no recourse unless I wanted to sue in court, which I can't do. You know, I had no re this is needed. This equal rights ordinance is needed for people to be able to say what's going on and for us to have a record of these injustices. And to put that, you know how in high schools they have a bully code, what you can and can't do? It makes a difference. You know, we need to let the bullies know they're being bullies so that their behavior can change. But currently nothing is like that on the books. Nothing is like that on the books at all. So where will you stand this week? Who will you be with? Will you recognize God there with you? The Homeboys Ministries has a very successful, a successful project. It's where they invite the gangsters in. Gangs. Gang members? Not really gangsters. That's like Elliot Ness. The gang members to work with each other. And as they work with each other, they learn how to make bread and they learn how to be hosts and offer that to their neighborhood. So it's like Jesus saying, come on in. Fix me a meal. If you do, watch out. 
you might be transformed. Amen. Last Wednesday, five staff members and three congregants attended the special session of the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance. 